This is the What Now Podcast. So the question, how do I manage the beginning stages of dating? You try your best not to manage it because managing is like a way or a, or a desire. Overanalyzing is the same thing. It usually comes from a desire to control the situation, to control what they think about you, how they feel about you. Um, choose not to manage it. This is the What Now podcast, where we discuss the culture and beliefs in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in an honest and faithful way in an effort to encourage, uplift, and inspire. I am Mary Alice Hatch, your host. Join me as I speak with seasoned LDS dating coach, Julie Bachman, as she shares her tips for how to manage the complexities of dating as a young single adult in our church culture. Julie shares her expertise on how to get out of the dating game and into a real relationship that lasts. Today, I'm here with Julie Bachman. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to have you with us today. Um, today, we're going to be focusing on how to address all the complexities of dating as a young single adult in our church culture. So let's jump right in. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, good. We're counting on you. Okay. <laughs> so how do you cope as a young single adult when you just don't meet the cultural expectation of being married younger, and all people seem to ask you about is your dating life and why you aren't married. Yes, everyone wants to know an answer to this question. And my answer to you is you step into your glorious life and you live fully by embracing your freedom to make decisions. And this is how you cope, by making decisions. First, decide what you ultimately want. And if that's marriage, make decisions that align with that desire. Okay, so when you're, so for coping, I just think sometimes like when I talk to all these YSA kids, they're like the first thing people say to me when they see me is, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're not married. You're so smart. You're so capable. You're so great. Why aren't you married? And this really bothers them that people make that the focus of the conversation, not their career, not things that they're interested in. It just seems like we have this tunnel vision on them getting married in our culture. It's very cultural. Yes, it is. And you can't control them. (laughs) So just remember that you don't owe them a response. If you don't want to talk about it, don't. Um, I've had people... um, ask me, well, what, how do I not talk about it? And um, so I often will practice with my clients um, what dialogue, like here's something you could say, and then you could work this into your own way of saying it. But the way I would say it is, I am happy to talk about many things with you and dating isn't one of them. And you say it in the kindest, most loving, clear tone. Mm-hmm. Does that, I mean, does that seem, I feel like if someone told me that I would be maybe off put a little bit. Yeah. The way you could do it in like a lighter way with a little humor, maybe. <laughs> you, well, you take that, you take the frame of that. I'm happy to talk with you about many things. Dating isn't one of them. Um, and you can then change it. And oftentimes people will add humor by saying, here's something I'll talk to you about. And then they'll bring up something like the weather or, you know, something boring or silly. Um, 
And they can use this frame to word it in a way that they feel comfortable saying. But I think the important thing is that we often feel like we owe someone a response that like if they're asking us about our dating life, we need to tell them. Mm-hmm. And I'm offering another perspective in that you don't owe them a response and you don't have to talk about it. So find a dialogue or a way of saying it that works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you know you're going to be asked that all the time, then you can almost prepare for it. Yes, you'll have a plan in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think it's a little more comforting too, when you know, that's going to be the question. And I feel bad. I've done that so many times. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so cute and adorable and smart and capable. How are you not married? I say that all the time thinking it's encouraging them. And it's like so discouraging. (laughs) Well, it maybe depends on the person too, because I think that's the ultimate compliment. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So how can like, these young single adults, how can they be patient with the process when they want to be in a relationship? I mean, sometimes you're like, I'm doing everything right. Like I'm putting myself out there. I've got my, you know, online dating going and I'm friendly when I see people and they're, they're trying to put themselves into this relationship and it just doesn't seem to be happening. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, first let's just establish that dating is uncomfortable and it's high risk. So there are lots of good reasons not to do it. So when we're talking about patience, I would say that patience is a virtue, but it's not an excuse. Most people that I have met who are trying to be patient with the process of dating are using it as a reason not to date. (laughs) And they're waiting for dating to happen to them instead of making decisions. Yeah, that's interesting. So how do you manage that? I mean, if they're waiting for it to kind of happen to them, how do you get proactive? Yeah, well, first you recognize that dating is not something that is in the hands of fate or God or anyone else, that it's up to you. Instead of being patient, you can date for information and make decisions based on the information you have. Then see what happens. Instead of being patient, you can find out what's possible. Because oftentimes I associate patience and the word patience with waiting. And I think the dating game is the waiting game. And that, you know, I help people get out of the dating game and into a real relationship that lasts because the dating game never works. And I don't believe when it comes to dating, I don't believe in waiting. So how do you get out of the dating game? Well, um, you recognize like what is the dating game? Like it's full of waiting. That's I would say that's the top adjective to describe the dating game is waiting. Second adjective would be guessing and assuming. Uh, In the dating game, you're trying to um, control how it goes. And um, try, you're trying to please someone else. You're trying to make each other happy. You're trying to put forth a persona or, you know, pretend to be someone that you think they're going to like. And it's all about, you know, trading and manipulating and playing with um, this potential relationship rather than getting to know someone in a real way. And I think part of that comes from like, 
most people, I mean, you mentioned in your question about the process, as far as the process goes, most people don't know the process. Like, how do I not play the game? Dating is super confusing in today's world. It's tempting to procrastinate dating when you don't have it figured out. And that's part of what I do as a dating expert. And I also feel that as a dating expert, you automatically become a decision-making expert. And um, I help people make decisions and I help them develop a process to date that works for them, that's based on a real relationship. Yeah, that's, I mean, how do you manage the beginning stages of dating? I mean, people overanalyze the interaction. They're wondering if they should text or call back and you can kind of get in your head on all that. Yes, for sure. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. Um, you make a choice to not become a manager. So the question, how do I manage the beginning stages of dating? You try your best not to manage it because managing is like a way or a, or a desire overanalyzing is the same thing it usually comes from a desire to control the situation to control what they think about you how they feel about you um choose not to manage it and that requires a lot of trust choose to learn and grow from life experience by making choices that align with what you want so you're going to, um, well, let's say you adopted a motto, which I believe will make you a million times happier in every relationship you are now in and in every relationship in your future. And the motto goes something like this. What other people think or say about me is none of my business. When you can adopt that motto, you are free then to make choices. Instead of wondering when you should text, ask yourself, do I want to? And if I want to text, I will. Um, do I want to call this person? And, you know, a lot of times they're like, well, no, I don't want to because I'm scared. Well, take fear with you. Look at what you want. Do I want to get to know this person? Yes. <laughs> Am I afraid to text them? Yes. But Ultimately, you're going to override the fear or take fear with you so that you can interact, text, call, express how you feel and the timing of things that there's so many expectations out there. And, um, you know, someone coming home from a date and the roommates are asking, you know, how it went and when are you going to send the after date text um, or did you define the relationship? All of that. You're free to do if you're making choices for yourself and you're not trying to manage how someone else thinks because you just can't. There's no way of doing that, really. I know that's tricky because if you don't know what the other person's thinking, but you want to make sure and you, you like them and you want to kind of invest in it, it's hard to know, like, you know, what step to take next. You kind of have to think about that. Yes, you do. But you make the choice for yourself rather than trying to assume what the other person is thinking. And that way you're more likely to step into it rather than like, oh, if I text this, then they'll think that, or then I'll be seen as, um, like it's very common uh, for my clients who are guys, they don't want to be the creepy, clingy, weird guy. And they've heard other women around them talk about, you know, their dates with other men and how, 
They're like, I don't want to be that guy. And so then, you know, when they're wanting to hold a girl's hand or express how they feel or send a text or call or ask her out, they're so worried about, you know, am I going to come on too strong? Am I going to, am I not coming on strong enough? You know, what is she thinking of me? And it it's kind of a paralyzing thing that creates this, um, you know, the wheels are turning in your head and you're overanalyzing and puzzling constantly. And it's just kind of a, it's a torturous way to live. And it makes dating so unfun. Yeah. And it's kind of nice to own it. Like, okay, I like this person. I'm going to reach out and text. If they don't text me back, then they're not interested. Fine. Yes, you own it. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So dating post-college, that can be really tricky. Like how do you navigate dating within a YSA ward? Because then, you know, if you move away from Utah or you're even in Utah or Idaho or Arizona where there's high concentrations of LDS YSA kids and you kind of are kind of pushed into the YSA ward arena. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then what if you date someone and it doesn't work out and then there's drama? Like you kind of need to date them because that's your pool of people. But what if it starts getting weird? Yes. You date too many people. You jump off the pier too many times. <laughs> yes. I get this question a lot, actually. And uh, my standard answer is this. <laughs> Remember, you are not in high school. Your ward and most likely your family, too, they will be your audience. They are the gossipers, the meddlers, the do-gooders. They're the advice givers. And some will want to live vicariously through you because they love the drama of someone else's life, but they're not stepping into their own lives. The drama will be there. You decide if you're going to be a part of it. And um, ways to avoid drama is to remember your dating life is not their business. You don't owe anyone information about your dating life, even if they ask. Even if it's your parents or your BFF. And I often will tell people if you want to ask someone out from your ex's friend group, do it. This isn't high school. Ooh, that's bold. Yes. <laughs> that's bold. I mean, the ex's friend group. I mean, the hard thing is if you dated someone and then you see them like, in the ward or you're in Sunday school with them, or you keep having an interaction and you're trying to like, maybe like one of their friends or someone in your community there, then it just gets awkward. It is awkward. And the drama will be there. I know. So what do you do? (laughs) You just disengage. Yeah. You make choices. You decide what you ultimately want. And you make choices that align with that, remembering that your dating life is not their business. They will make it their business and they will talk about you. (laughs) They do that. The family and your word audience, they will. And you can't control that. But if we're so concerned about what other people think, well, maybe that's another good reason not to date. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, that leads into my next question, that there can be a lot of pressure around dating to where it starts to feel like a chore. (laughs) You know, like how can YSA kind of relieve the pressure and instead see dating more as an opportunity to get to know someone instead of all this pressure? Like, okay, after this first date, can I see myself with this person long term? Like, 
you put all this heavy pressure on then you know it gets stressful and feels demanding and like a chore yes yes and i feel that um this is especially true in the lds culture there are a lot of people out there who are chore dating and it's miserable I always say, if you don't want to go on a date, don't go because nobody wants to be on a date with you if you don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And we're back to this. And you may notice by now that I have a theme song. <laughs> Decide what you ultimately want. If you want marriage, for example, then you will want to go on dates because dating aligns with what you ultimately want. Everything changes when you make a free choice to do something because you want to, not because you feel like you have to. Mm-hmm. Well, then the whole interaction is probably a little different too. People can sense if you're just not into it and it's an obligation. You're like counting down the minutes till you have to leave. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Your fake appointment. <laughs> oh, you forgot you left your iron on. I don't know. When you're not chore dating, you will be more present and available to get to know people. Mm-hmm. And you can allow other people to get to know you too, which is going to be, yes, uncomfortable and risky, but you're there because you want to be, not because you have to be. Mm-hmm. And the feelings of like, you know, fear and pressure, they'll be there, especially at the beginning. But keep practicing. Yeah, I mean, it's common too, like when you go on a bunch of dates and you're kind of wanting it to work out, you feel like there's potential, but it isn't, hasn't quite clicked yet. And then you feel like it's not progressing the way you want it to progress. How do you know when it's time to move on? Hmm. Lots of people stay in dead-end relationships because they are afraid to be alone or afraid of starting over. So uh, what... The standard answer is, and I just hold fast to it, which is trust yourself. Most people will stay long after they know it's over. Some are afraid to end it too soon because of the what ifs. And um, then I reiterate, trust yourself, trust yourself. And um, if you really don't know, Ask for help from a trusted, wise person, someone who can help you see what you're not seeing. Um, That's part of what I do as a life coach. And um, my suggestion, if you decide that you want to ask for help from a trusted, wise person, is to not collect or shop around for opinions or votes. That will confuse you. Pick one trusted wise person if you really need to talk it through with someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also trusting yourself. I mean, I think a lot of people have kind of these gut reactions to things and they kind of know what they need to do. And then they kind of source out people who might validate what they're thinking or not what they're thinking. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of good to just be confident enough and trusting your own gut instead of asking everyone else's opinions. I mean, even President Nelson is always saying, you know, seek revelation for your life. Yes. Go to the Lord and seek that revelation instead of getting everyone else's opinions who really don't know what the end game is for you. And I think we intuitively know what we really want. You know, every time I've been hesitant about things and I still go through with it, I have lived to regret it. (laughs) Well, I think trusting yourself is being responsible. Seeking revelation is responsible. 
And um, oftentimes when we're not trusting ourselves, I think it's our desire to not want to step into that responsibility and really own our decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know it's almost like a scapegoat if you just kind of go off of what someone else thinks you should do instead of doing the work to really get the right answer for yourself. I think we all do that at times. Yes. And I've noticed that there's a way of like searching for answers based on other people's experiences. Like, well, so-and-so was in a relationship and they had doubts and this is how it went for them and this is how they did it. (laughs) And uh, it's just another way to distract yourself and get confused most of the time because everyone's, you know, life is different. Each couple, each relationship is unique. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so true. So obviously marriage is the end goal, right? And it's important to foster friendships, but how do you navigate dating and friendships? You know, oh. because sometimes the girl or guy might get the wrong idea and you're just trying to kind of start with the friendship and they're thinking you're kind of dating. <laughs> yeah. Yes, this is a big deal for people. They will cling to friendships and sometimes they turn into situationships. But if they are not leading to marriage and that's what you want, the answer is obvious. Focus on what you want. Make decisions that align with what you want. If you want a friendship to be something more, you must communicate clearly. You want to get to your no sooner so you can find your yes. So does that come by where if you're feeling like things are progressing, you bring it up? Yes. And I teach this concept. I call it CCQ. Clear, concise, and quick. And um, what that does is that helps people communicate clearly. So in one or two sentences, can you say it in one or two sentences, what you ultimately want from the relationship? Can you name it? Can you (laughs) express like, you know, I'd really, I feel like we're really close friends. I would like it to be more. Would you like to try dating? Um, so clear without, you know, sending like nine paragraphs in a text message or, um, you know, taking all night to express how you feel. Just be very clear and upfront and then invite the person to like, you know, would you want to find out more? And the other way of communicating, um, I think that there are a lot of people who Um, They want to begin dating as friends and then, you know, hopefully have it turn into something more. And I would also say communicate very, very clearly that if it's a dating friendship that you're looking for, then you're hoping and wanting it to grow from there rather than just stay friends. Mm -hmm. So maybe early on when you feel like it's starting to progress to be very clear Yes. And most people are afraid to be clear because they don't want to lose the friendship. They're afraid of scaring this other person away. But that's when you come back to focusing on what you want and you make decisions that align with what you want. And it may not be the same ever again, but at least you'll know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I can see how that would be a really difficult uh, kind of transition. Like if you're trying to transition into the relationship, but they're still in the friendship mode. Yeah. It can be a little crushing, you know, yes. if you're feeling like, oh my gosh, we're such good friends and we have so much in common. Why isn't this working? 
Yes, but do you want to, you know, stay in that for several years and then lose other opportunities or do you want to find out and move on? Yeah. Yeah, so quick. So the transition is quick. Yeah, clear, concise and quick. In other words, a lot of people think that transitioning is like, you know, a slow process and you drop hints along the way and I think that um there's this phenomenon in dating that I think is hilarious, but I think it's also very human of us. We're like waiting for the other person to see if they're going to declare their feelings for us or, you know, hint around. We're looking for signs or signals and we're waiting for the other person to go first. And then if they do, then we'll expose ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. And that is also, we're back to the waiting game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And wasting more time. Yeah. I mean, uh, you could call it a waste of time, but I think, you know, every minute, every moment, every year, (laughs) every century (laughs) that you spend in a relationship, you're still learning. You can't help it. I I believe that every relationship is a classroom. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to transition to kind of YSA who don't have a lot of experience. You know, many YSA haven't dated much in their youth. And then post-mission, they're expected to get married quickly without a lot of relationship experience. So how can we move away from the cultural timeline and focus more on the quality and compatibility of the relationship? I mean, I've seen tragically a lot of kids getting divorced in their early 20s because they're just jumping off the mission, jumping into a relationship. They really don't have a lot of experience. And then the whole thing becomes kind of a train wreck. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So how can we move away from that cultural timeline? That's very common. It is. And um, quality and compatibility, they change and evolve with time and life experience. And each person's timeline is unique and very much their own. So I would just say embrace the doctrine over the culture. According to the plan of salvation, we are here to make decisions and to learn and grow. Yeah, I mean, that seems like kind of a, it's tricky because when you get older, I think the quality and compatibility change too, because you get so much life experience and you know how to handle kind of difficult relationships, difficult personalities, just because you have more experience with that. When you're young, it can be kind of intimidating and scary. Like, oh my gosh, we're fighting. Are we not meant to be together? <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's often really common, especially if you're you're playing the dating game. It's the only thing you know to do and you find someone who makes you happy and you make them happy and wow, let's get engaged and get married. And then you, um, you're in a relationship that's based on um, trading and expectations and, uh, that's not going to last very long until, you know, the real, the real person shows up and the real person that you married is not what you thought you married. And so there's this um, huge, it's a loss of, uh, of what you thought it should be. Like, I, this isn't at all what I thought marriage would be, or this isn't, you're not at all what I thought you would be as my spouse. And it leads to disappointment. And, you know, a lot of people are looking for compatibility, thinking that that is the answer. 
And it is my belief that there are two things that matter most when it comes to compatibility and everything else is evolving and changing with time and life experience. Mm-hmm. And what are those two things? They are, uh, they're found in, I think it's second Nephi 19, um, when Christ, the resurrected Christ comes to the Americas and he said, the law of Moses is fulfilled and um, I'm giving a new sacrifice, which is um, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And a broken heart, when it comes to dating, is a willingness to be wrong. And a contrite spirit is a willingness to learn. So two things to look for in a potential partner, starting with you, because you are a potential partner, ultimately. (laughs) Are you willing to be wrong? And are you willing to learn? And those are really the only two things that matter. Mm -hmm. And that's tricky. I mean, because that takes a lot of humility. (laughs) It does. (laughs) And a willingness to be honest and open. Mm-hmm. That's and, true. Yeah. I mean, like if you imagine yourself approaching someone on a date, <laughs> you're going to say, and I, I don't suggest that you say this, but, you know, in your mind, you're looking for someone. And in a way you're saying, are you willing to learn how to be in a real relationship with me? A real relationship based on unconditional love. And, you know, Wow, that's cool. Are you willing to learn with me? Are you willing to be wrong? One of the ways that you could be wrong is dropping the expectations because typically expectations are wanting something to be different than it really is or a person to be different than who they really are. And expectations will lead to disappointment. So if you drop that, like, this isn't what I thought it should be or you're not who I thought you should be, Mm-hmm. and accept what is, mm-hmm. what's reality. And can you go from there? What can you learn from this? Can you be real? You're in, You're making a really good point about managing expectations. I think that's what messes up so many relationships is the expectations can be spot on or they can be way off center. Yeah. And so if you're, our expectations are just really unrealistic no relationship's going to work for you. You know, like it, I think honing in on what's realistic for the person that you're with. I mean, every you kind of have to analyze the person that you're with and what they're actually capable of giving you. And if it's not what they're capable of giving you, then maybe that is your time to walk away. Yes. However, analyzing someone for what they're capable of giving you is, um, it's, it's hard to be the person on the other side of that because do you want to be analyzed for what you're capable of giving someone else or do you want to be accepted and understood, listened to? Do you want to be someone that is worth getting to know? I, I feel that analyzed reminds me of someone with a magnifying glass like, Are you the kind of person that's going to make me happy and meet my needs? And I feel like personally, I never want to be the person who is being analyzed. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it's too much pressure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So how do you decipher 
what or if you don't use the word analyze how do you decipher what that person is going to be for you then if you're not kind of analyzing it and trying to understand it well i don't believe that it's the person's job to be anything for you that's your job like uh are you going to make me happy and meet my needs well no that's not what i'm here for we're we to me it's an equal partnership of like we're we're becoming partners. We're a team. We're learning how to do this together. It's not your job to meet my needs, but it does matter to me that you care about my happiness. Um, I think that oftentimes um, there's this notion, especially coming from like church talks and testimonies where, you know, someone stands up and says, I really love my husband because he makes me happy. And I, I think that if you're trying to make someone happy, you're taking away their choice. And that was Satan's plan, where allow them to be responsible for their own happiness and make their own choices, honor their choices and contribute to their happiness. That's someone who wants to get to know you. It's the difference between, um, I care how you make me feel, that's an analyzer, versus I care how you feel. That's someone who wants to get to know me. That's a good distinction. So what is an appropriate time to date before getting married? I mean, you always hear like four seasons and a road trip, one year, you know, how do you get to know, how do you get to know where you're at in the relationship where it really is ready for the next leap of marriage? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I always laugh at this one. And I, for most of my life, I felt like this was the best advice ever. But um, currently, I think the four, se- the four seasons thing is misleading. It's not about the timeline. It's about principles and practice. And we're back to trust yourself and trust your own timeline. Um, like, I just don't believe in dating someone for the prescribed time period. You could take 20 years and still not know enough. It's important to get to know them, but stick to the two things that matter most, willing to be wrong and willing to learn. So when you see that they have humility and they're willing to work on the relationship and that they're genuinely invested in you and the relationship, that's, that's meaningful. That's good. Yeah. I mean, getting to know someone authentically is like accepting and feeling accepted with your fears and your flaws and your mistakes and showing the real you and allowing space for them, for you to be the real you as well, and for them to be the real themselves. And I think it's really hard for a lot of older YSA kids. I think it's really hard to be vulnerable because you know, they've kind of had that experience of being vulnerable and putting things out there and maybe they struggle with pornography or mental illness or they have real struggles and they've kind of brought that forward at a certain time in the relationship and then they've been rejected. And then Mm -hmm. they're like, well, I, that's not safe to bring up again. I might sacrifice a relationship again. So I'm just not going to bring that up till we're married. You know, Mm -hmm. how do you avoid that situation? Um, you embrace what is true. And that is the only way to find someone who can accept and love you is to show them the real you. It's the only way. If they don't know the real you and they're married to you, (laughs) they'll get to know the real you later. 
And um, then you, you'll always get to the point where you'll find out, can this person accept the real me with my fears, flaws, and mistakes? And I think the example you gave is like, oh my gosh, I can't tell this person about my porn problem because last time I did that, she broke up with me. So next time I'm not going to talk about it. Well, I would um, invite that person to continue to tell the truth about himself or herself. And um, also talk about how you're taking responsibility for you, your fears, flaws, mistakes. Like um, I commonly get the question, what do I do in a dating situation if one of us has a mental health issue? And, um, you know, does that mean that I shouldn't date them? Is it a red flag? You know, how do I navigate this? I would say the same for porn or any other issue. And that is that you want to know that the person is taking responsibility for where they're at and what they're dealing with and that they're not going to lean on you to be the one to fix it or demand that you accept them as they are, but then they're not willing to do anything different. And in doing so, you're just going to find out more information. Oftentimes we would want to jump to the like, oh, well, they're not being responsible for their um, porn habits. Therefore, I'm going to judge and be critical of them. But rather than, you know, just get the information and see it as information only rather than like a reason to judge and criticize. And with that information, you then have something to base more decisions on so you can progress and move forward in the dating phase of your life. And I think it's important you kind of touched on this too, is to see what they're willing to do about it and what they are doing about it responsible. What are you doing about it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause if they're really hiding it or not being responsible about whatever it is, they don't want to disclose. It's only going to get worse when they're married. So yeah. it's, it's good to know that they're like aware of it and they're wanting to progress and you can help them progress. That's kind of a different conversation. Yeah. Hiding it makes it worse and bigger. And I mean, I've done that myself. I went through a period in my life where I suffered with anxiety and depression to the point where I just was afraid to leave the house. And um, I, the most terrifying thing about the anxiety and depression was um, the idea that someone might know that about me. Like I was so scared for someone to know that I had anxiety and depression so badly, you know, that um, it felt I was, I was extremely embarrassed and for someone else to know that about me just seemed like the worst thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And, um, I worked through that and I got the help that I needed and I took responsibility and I found ways to, you know, get the healing and the insight and the tools to manage it. And, um, one of the ways of managing it and getting the tools was to talk about it with people, to actually let someone see me and, you know, tell them that I was struggling with this. Yeah. I think that can be really scary for a lot of people to be vulnerable, to allow themselves to be vulnerable. Cause when you're in that headspace of anxiety and depression, the thought of rejection is probably so overwhelming. Like 
if I tell someone this, I'm already vulnerable and they reject me or judge me, it's like I can't handle it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. And that once more, we've come up with uh, during this short, how long have we been talking? 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, another reason not to date. If you're looking for a reason not to date, and one of them would be a fear of rejection because for whatever reason, someone won't like you, you have good reasons not to date. Um, dating is uncomfortable. It's high risk. It's a willingness to potentially get hurt and or look like a fool for love. So if you choose not to do it, I honor your choice. I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or even take a break from it till you feel like you're in the right headspace to offer your best self to somebody. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people come to me and they're like, I've taken a break from dating and I just want to have some self-discovery and healing first before I get back into it. Mm -hmm. And I totally respect that. Yeah. Well, how do you, going into kind of a spiritual component here, how do you remain active and faithful in your testimony and living the gospel, even when the Lord's timing hasn't seemed to match up with yours? You know, you're feeling like I'm doing the work, I'm going to the temple, I'm going to church, I have my calling, I'm, I'm being kind of like, you know, a lot of missionaries get that exact obedience, you know, brings blessings type of thing. Mm-hmm. And that headspace and like, I'm doing the work and why isn't this working out for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can ask yourself, does being faithful in my testimony and living the gospel contribute to my happiness? Check in with yourself. Are you waiting for the Lord to reward you because of your faithfulness? Without even knowing it, we can blame the Lord for things not happening in the way we were brought up to expect. How about take responsibility like we were talking about before? Take responsibility for your own timeline and maintain the belief that what you want can happen for you. You can exercise faith in the Lord and trust the Lord's love for you by making decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it comes back to us just, you know, empowering ourselves to be proactive, make decisions, move forward in faith, and just trust the process. Yes, make choices that align with what you want. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have this friend who recently got married last year. She's 50. And she was, you know, faithful, you know, the whole thing, like temple worthy, the, you know, young women's stake president, you know, the whole thing, like on board, just doing it all right, working hard and just, it just didn't work out. She gave this incredible talk recently, just saying like, did you forget about me? You know, like I, I'm doing all the work, like what gives, you know? Mm-hmm. And and then she has ended up with this incredible man that just is so respectful of her, so kind, so good. You know, and now she's like, gosh, I never could have dreamed I could have like been this happy, you know? So and people are like, shoot, I don't want to wait until I'm 50. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping for that at 25 or 30. But there is a timetable and it can be hard to be patient when you feel like you're kind of doing the work and you're going to the temple and you've made all this an integral part of your life and then feel like God hasn't delivered on his promises, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we think that our relationship with God is a trade. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. But it's not. <laughs> He's it's got not. a master plan. Well, you already have everything you need. God's love is everything. You don't need to earn it. So you are currently writing a book where you interviewed 120 young single adults. So I'm curious, what were some of your most important takeaways from those conversations? Oh, wow. My most important takeaways, because of the interviews, I started to explore my personal values when it comes to relationships. And freedom is my highest value when it comes to relationships. And I have learned that the importance of decision-making supports and strengthens my testimony of the plan of salvation. Um, yeah, did I answer your question? Was that the full question? Well, really, it's more like you interviewed all these YSAs. What would you say, like, like the majority of them were saying X, or this is meaningful to them, or this is impactful to them? What commonalities did you see? Mm -hmm. Oh, the commonalities. Um, the majority of them wanted confidence when it comes to dating. And I would say everyone, uh, they wanted to know, um, is there something wrong with me? Or is this normal? And um, I think that, you know, from what I learned from my interviewees is that they really wanted to be heard and seen and understood around this whole dating thing. And um, when I started these interviews, the goal was to interview 10. And I had so many people who wanted to talk to me about dating. And in talking to them, I realized that dating in the modern world is harder than it's ever been, but not because of what most people assume. Like, um, oh, young adults in today's world, they're too picky or they're lazy. There's too many choices. They're selfish. But my conclusion is that today's young adult daters, they know more, more than any generation previous to them. And therefore, they want more. The old traditional way of dating is outdated and they know it. They are trying to navigate a new world. So what is the old traditional way? What do you mean? Mm, old tradition. Uh, the guy does the choosing, the asking, the planning, and the paying for. And the woman waits to be chosen, goes along with the plans, and gets paid for. So what is the way that they want it to be now, this new YSA generation? Um, I don't know that they necessarily have defined that yet, but I think that what they're um, leaning towards is equal partnership and equality in dating in that um, women in today's world, they're not going to wait around for a guy to ask them. <laughs> they're going to make choices that align with what they want. And I think that... Um, we're seeing that more and more. And it's especially difficult in the LDS culture because dating has been defined for us so clearly that um, we're sort of in this transitional phase of confusion. For example, um, many young women were taught that as, as teenagers, that if a guy doesn't open your door, 
um, you know, whether it's going into a building or getting into the car or wherever, that he doesn't respect you. Well, in today's world, that's, um, that's confusing because some women don't want you to open their door and some do. And um, some women think that, you know, well, if he didn't open my door for me, then, you know, he's, he's not respecting me. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of um, expectations around traditional roles that, you know, when I asked the people I was interviewing, you know, do you want an equal partnership? And if so, what does that look like? And when does it begin? They were hesitant because they were like, yeah, I do. I want an equal partnership, but I'm not sure if I'm ready to say that I want that to begin at the get go, mm-hmm. you know, because they're like transitioning. Or they might be seen as a little too feminist or progressive or right. That it might be a little off putting. Yes. Yeah. Take your pick. So that's where we're at in today's world is we have people who are still in the traditional way of dating and some who are moving out of that and some who have moved out of it. And how do you navigate asking someone out when you don't know where they are in that? Like, are you a traditional? Do you have these expectations of me? Am I supposed to play this part and you're supposed to play that part because that's what is socially acceptable or do we decide together and communicate? Mm-hmm. So what would you say were like the top two takeaways for all these interviews you did? Oh, um, well, I would say that uh, one of my favorite questions, and it was asked by one of my interviewees like a year after the interviews, he wanted to know what the biggest impediments were for today's LDS daters. And I felt like that the two biggest impediments were not enough time spent in the real world. In other words, um, too much dependence on parents and um, time spent like online or, you know, viewing porn or binge watching Netflix or, um, you know, many, many people, not just young adults are um, content junkies. And, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. But uh, if you want to be in a real relationship, you need more time in the real world. And then the second thing was that um, there is a great lack of experience when it comes to dating. And I'm talking about, um, you know, even in the between 25 and 35 age range. And in that age age range, I think that that is like a well-kept secret, that there are a lot of people who are feeling like, I should have more experience and I should know more than I do. And I'm afraid to say that like, I've never kissed a guy or I've only been out on a few dates or I've never been in a relationship yet. And so it just really keeps people from um, stepping into it because they feel like they should know more than they do. And they're kind of just beginner daters. Mm -hmm. So that hesitancy with not having a lot of experience Yes. And then not wanting people to know that about you. Mm -hmm. Like it's seen as a weakness or. Yeah. Or just like, there's definitely something wrong with me if I'm, you know, 25 and I've never kissed anyone yet, or I've only been on two dates in my whole life, or I really don't know what I'm doing. And I don't dare tell anyone that I don't know what I'm doing because I'm 29 or, you know, that kind of thing. Mm hmm. So what would be your advice for that is just to own it and be honest and open and just 
assume the risk, you know? Oh, I want anyone out there who feels that way to know that they're not alone and that I see you, I get it. And this is really like not your fault. You're just, you're starting where you're starting and you're here. And I would say that the best way to cope with that is to start making choices and stepping into your life, make choices, make decisions, and be honest about where you are in the dating phase of your life. Mm -hmm. To be intentional. I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So as we wrap up, um, is there anything you want to leave us with? Some gems for this YSA dating group that's listening right now? Are there parents or loved ones who are going to send this podcast to them? Yes. Yes. If, if they only remember one thing from this podcast, it would be if you are in the dating phase of your life or anyone, really, anyone would benefit from this. Label yourself. I am a decision maker. Mm -hmm. That's it. You are. And that's why you're here. So just that self-fulfilled statement, I am a decision maker, will launch them into making the choices they need to find a fulfilling relationship. It's the only way to progress, to learn and to grow and to get to know someone and to find an eternal partner. You've got to start making decisions. All right. Well, thank you so much, Julie. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. It's been fun. It's been fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. If you would like to connect with Julie Bachman for a dating consultation or learn more about her services, you can visit her website at juliebachmancoaching.com or go to her Instagram at lifecoach.julie. I invite you to share this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Just click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're on Instagram, follow us at podcast what now for inspirational messages and highlights from our past and present episodes. We never say goodbye. We say what now? This has been a What Now podcast production. <laughs>